Welcome. This is Beyond the Illusion. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we have a conversation with an incredibly authentic, uplifting, and energetic person. Her name is Carrie Hummingbird, and among her many talents, she's an accomplished author as well as a healer trained in various shamanic practices. She also has her own podcast called Soul Nectar, which I highly recommend checking out. I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent right now and tell you a little story, but I promise it all comes back around to Carrie. So as most of you know, I live in Austin, Texas, and it's always been a bit of a mystery to me how I ended up here, because I had never been here and I didn't know anyone in Austin before I moved here. I just knew it was where I was supposed to be. And recently, one of my friends told me that the psychic Edgar Cayce predicted that somewhere in Central Texas would be a center of higher consciousness. When he told me this, I immediately knew he was speaking about what is happening right now here in this area. I believe there are many of these types of areas in the world, and they are growing and gaining in strength, attracting more and more of the same types of consciousness to those areas. What has happened here in Austin is that it has reached critical mass, so now the energies within the people of this area have enough force to attract other similar energies in an exponential fashion. And as a result of this, I've noticed more and more people becoming awakened, and they seem to be able to find one another much easier these days. So, although it did surprise me that Carrie also lives here in the Austin, Texas area, on another level, I kind of expected it. During this conversation, it became clear that Carrie is one of those people who are attracting and building higher consciousness wherever she goes. There's so much great information in this conversation, and we hope to continue the great chemistry we had with her soon because Tiana and I are planning to join Carrie on her podcast sometime in the near future. Let's go to that conversation with Carrie right now. I noticed that you've written a few books. I was kind of curious about why you write about the topics that you write about. That's a good question. So all the books I've written have been spirit prompted. So the first book was Awakening to Me, One Woman's Journey to Self-Love. And I was told I was going to write that book. And I was going to write it as I went along the process of healing myself and loving myself. And I'd know when I was done with the book when I loved myself. So I thought, okay, this would be a good adventure. And I, you know, I had just left my 20-year relationship, and so I, I started writing the book, and I got in with the teacher, and I started with more teachers, and before I knew it, a couple years had passed, and I kept trying to end that book because I thought, I'm there. And then something else would happen, and I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, there's more. There's another layer. So it was, uh, it was a couple of years before I was able to actually publish that book. And, and then it was a little while before I wrote the next one. I wrote the next one was more was uh, From We to Me, Emerging Self After Divorce. And that was kind of more expository. It was more me grappling with realizations about decisions I'd made in my relationship and decisions I'd made in leaving it and the process of becoming single again and the process of dating again in midlife, like all these things that I was facing. So I used it as a processing tool. And then... I got the tap to write the second wave book. Now that book is really different, you know, because by now I've gone through a lot of training. I've been a healer for a while now. Uh, my channel's wide open, you know, because I've been doing all this healing work, working with plant medicines and a lot of things. And all of a sudden I get, the, you're going to write a book about the second wave. I'm like, what's that? What is, I don't even know what that is. And I was reminded to go look at Dolores Cannon. So I don't know if y'all are familiar with Dolores Cannon's work. Oh, yeah. I but, actually trained in QHHT. Oh, fantastic. Live, I got to meet her and train with her. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is so cool. Yeah, yeah, she's definitely a factor. You know, I feel her in my field from time to time, when I'm, especially when I'm talking about this stuff. I feel it like right here. Um, but I I looked it up, the video about this, the three waves of volunteers. I was like, oh, okay. And then I put everything aside. And I just started channeling. So it was more straight dictation almost, like energetic translation of energies into words and then on the page. And then I would follow up in like 
double check it with my pendulum. Did I get that right? You know, is that correct? So that book was kind of like that. It was like dictation. And it was with my higher self, White Eagle. So I'm trying to listen and integrate and hear. For the people who are not familiar, can you explain what the second wave is? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the second wave, there's actually three waves of volunteers. And the first wave of volunteers was kind of like in the 60s. And it's pretty obvious. You know, if you look back through the 60s, you go, of course, you know, you've got these epic people like, you know, Martin Luther King. And you've got, um, you know, all the 60s music and the Age of Aquarius song. Come on. The people that wrote that and sang that song are totally not human. Okay, they're like galactic. You can hear it in the music. So there's just like that freshness and that that really vibrant rainbow feeling to it. That's, you know, that's the 60s. And a lot of the spiritual teachers that started charting the course that many of us in the second wave have followed. So the second wave was born, you know, it ranges from my age. I'm about 52 now down to my 18, my uh, 21 year old. So it's kind of that span, the second wave. And, you know, if that's not that precise number and you feel like you're part of it, then, you know, skip my numbers. But it's kind of generally that range. And the second wave is really here to carry on the work of the first wave in the next wave, right? So we're here to really blossom and expand on what the first wave did. Like Dolores Cannon would be a perfect example of first wave, you know? And now all of you training in Dolores Cannon's work, well, now you're the second wave of that. You're bringing it out deeper and further than she was able to do on her own. So now, you know, we're looking at the emergence of the third wave starting to come out now, right? And they're like little diamond children. So like these new kids are coming in, they're really sharp, like they're, they're awake, they know who they are. So, but it takes all these waves of consciousness and souls willing to be embodied during these big transformational periods in order to make it happen. So if you're part of the second wave, probably it's been a little rocky, a little rough, um, maybe some pretty tense, sticky, icky family patterns going on, uh, generational patterns that needed healing. Uh, you might've been born into your family and go, what is up with this picture? Like, <laughs> I'm not fitting in here. And I, I can tell there's more that, you know, like love is not this. They're doing their best, but like this is, there's a whole level I'm aware of that's not happening and I need to help somehow. And so you might even have turned into the one that solves problems in the family or parenting upwards, you know, like parenting your parents <laughs> and probably a big feeler, like somebody who's super, super feeler, like very sensitive energetically or very clairvoyant. And so, you know, you just know stuff that other people don't seem to know. Like, well, how come they don't know this? Seems obvious to me, but they don't get it. So that's the second wave. We kind of have done a lot of work in the background for the last, definitely the last 10 years. And more than that, really, like your whole lifetime so far, you know, you've been in service. So thank you. If you're listening, you're like, that's me. I say thank you. You know, maybe nobody else has said thank you yet. So thank you for your service to the planet and holding the fort and lifting the energies and bringing love. We needed it. That's yeah. such a great description. I bet you so many, I, I know Tim and I are both like nodding our heads like, yeah, we relate to that a lot. And I bet a lot of people that are listening relate to that. I'm curious, you said that you channeled White Eagle, who's your higher self, is that correct? Yeah, so I'm an aspect of White Eagle. You know, I think we're all aspects of the greater selves. And then the greater selves are aspects of the great one. There's like these levels of, you know, it's kind of incomprehensible to the human mind. It's sort of hard to talk about. But yeah, White Eagle is a, an ascended master and in the etheric sense, and I wouldn't call myself that because I'm only an aspect, right? I'm just a piece. Um, having an incarnation is this form. And I've integrated with another incarnation of white equals from the Trail of Tears, from the time of the Cherokee um, losing their their land. And in that lifetime, white eagle, the aspect was a peace chief, you know, Cherokee peace chief. So I've I've integrated back with that aspect and we help each other. So it's all happening at the same time, which is also another confusing aspect of talking about these things. Because of course that aspect is still alive and well in that lifetime right now, as I'm alive and well in this lifetime right now. <laughs> and then we're also integrated and embodied together here. So it's, it's all like, it's taken a while for me to figure out how to talk about it. 
but I just know experientially, you know, the experience of remembering the trail of tears, like in this lifetime as me, how do I even know about that? But I have this ancestry and I also have this aspect. So that's also super fascinating to me. If you're, you know, from QHHT, you see these overlaps all the time, I'm sure, where it's like you have a past life, but then you also were that person in your ancestry. Like, so it's like you go down the family line, you go down the genetics and you're having a past life. So I've realized that too, like seven generations back ish. I made some choices as white eagle peace chief that rippled down my family line. So I came back into this family line to clean up the mess. So, you know, lift the whole, elevate the whole line. So that's why this had to like sandwich, you know, between the two of us. I, I don't know if you're having experiences like that, but it you're, you're nodding your head. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. I find it super fascinating. It's come up a lot lately in the circles that I run in just, you know, people talking about ancestral healing, you know, and I think at least in our American culture, and I know not everybody that listens to this is American, but we're so cut off from our ancestry. It's not something that a lot of times in our popular culture, we honor or value. But yet I really feel like, you know, we're in this time now where a lot of us are recognizing the value of that and focusing on that and understanding that we intentionally incarnated into certain ancestral lines to help to do that healing and that clearing. So that's really a cool story of yours. It's yeah, it's powerful. Yeah, definitely. I, I wanted to say that um, I'm, I'm a really big fan of Dolores Cannon. Actually, I, I had a, a, a period of time where I was actually obsessed with all her books. And I, you know, I've, I've listened, I, I listened to audiobooks mainly, but I've listened to at least five of her books and, um, you know, they're, they're just awesome. They're amazing. And I didn't know about the first wave, the second wave and the third wave. So that was a new concept to me. I'm glad you brought it up, but, uh, it's funny because, you know, Tiana kind of actually got me started on, on channeling once in a while. So, so I channel, you know, occasionally. And, um, that was one of the messages that I got was uh, not too long ago was that, there are like three different groups of people and I'm in the middle and that my kid is, is in the next one. And then my parents are actually in the one before me and that, you know, we act as like a bridge between them because they, they have a hard time understanding one another. And, um, it's very similar to what you're talking about with that first wave, second wave, third wave. So I thought that was interesting, but, um, also, yeah, I, I, I've had that similar experience of, of, you know, the ancestral thing happening too as well. And uh, I think a lot of people are. That's, that's a big theme going on right now with, with people. And I, I hear it coming up again and again, you know. So, so it must be something important that we, we should probably do some work on and focus on at least a little bit. Yeah, it actually is really important right now because we have the opportunity to – elevate human consciousness an octave at least in this time and to do that we have to reconcile things in the ancestral dna that are outstanding that are unresolved that require witnessing and compassion and reconciliation and so if your ancestors didn't get to reconcile those things yet then rather than wait for another lifetime to happen where they can come in and embody and reconcile it, you can actually serve as a conduit of that healing from your vessel right now. And I've done this in ayahuasca ceremonies where I have said, okay, ancestors, like not to overwhelm me, but if there is something, you know, if, if there are ancestors ready to forgive something, ready to reconcile, ready to release, I offer my vessel. And you know, it might seem like, well, you know, that seems like a burden, but actually it's not because what happens is that any healing from my ancestry that happens through my body is serving me too, because it's modifying my ancestral DNA and all the patterns that otherwise I'm hampered by. And it's reconciling all of it within me so that I can make a choice that's clean in mine rather than a choice that's influenced by a whole lot of patterns in my DNA. So those ceremonies and those opportunities, and I'm sure there's lots of ways to do it. I just happened to do it at medicine ceremony 
teeth chattering, shaking, you know, like cold waves coming off of my body for an hour or more. It was very intense and definitely ending up puking, but it was worth it. It cleared a lot of things up and it brought some unity to my ancestry. And it wasn't like one session was going to do it. Think about how many ancestors you have. I mean, geez, there's a lot. So, but the more we can do that work in this lifetime, the more we elevate the whole timeline because it is happening all concurrently. So whatever we're doing here is rippling back and healing that, which is rippling forward with higher vibrations. So you get what I'm saying? Like it's, it's all influencing the entire timeline and lifting it. Yeah. beautiful and it's overwhelming and it's beautiful yeah yeah what about your new book love is fierce healing the mother wound i think that that that's not something we've talked about the mother wound can you explain to people what that is absolutely that was the book you know i was all set to go on tour you know with love with uh the second wave because that was such an easy book to write i was like yay this is great and it's been on the charts ever since like i don't know 90 weeks or something it's like dude that's amazing no, I was not allowed to rest. So the next book came in, Love is Fierce, Healing the Mother Wound. And I said, well, okay, I can see where this is one is coming from. <laughs> because in my current incarnation, my mother and I have always had such a struggle to communicate up until this book. And like we always used my dad as a conduit. So perhaps there's some women or even men out there who can relate to this, you know, needing a translator to to be with to talk to one parent or the other in this case the mother then my dad died three years ago mm-hmm. and our our channel was gone you know our bridge so now what and and then on top of that at my dad's deathbed i um i did one of those promises where i you make a promise on the deathbed and i i leaned over in my dad's ear and i whispered he was not conscious but he, he was passing but i said dad i promise I promise you I will love my mother unconditionally. And that to me was a huge promise. And I can't break that promise. So when that book came around, I knew exactly what that was about. It's like, you need to fulfill this promise. You said you would. So write a book because you learn by writing books. And this is a tip for anybody out there who's like, how do I sustain myself on a spiritual inquiry? You know, write a book. Like it really works. So That's really what that book was about on a personal level, but on a larger level, you know, because we're multidimensional beings, this topic is, is not just about healing my relationship with my mother, which has happened and it's beautiful. And I'm reconnected with my mom and it's gorgeous. It's like the best we've ever been like, yay. And don't do the book for that reason, because we can't have any expectations about an external result. So it's more about, learning how to love yourself deeply and reparent yourself and reestablish a sense of connection and an experience of connection to the divine mother, to our planet earth, our world of form, great spirit, God, source creator, whatever you want to call the, that which has created us. You, you need to reconnect to that greater force and know that you're not separate and that we're just having an illusion of it. That's the crux of the mother wound on the planet and how we treat mother earth so poorly is because we've forgotten that she is us and we are her and we're connected with everything on the planet. We're all the same being and we've forgotten that. So we don't treat her very well. We don't treat ourselves very well. We don't treat our mothers very well. We don't treat the planet very well. And it's because of this misunderstanding. So this is about healing all the ways that that wound is expressed and there's a lot of ways it's expressed so there's a lot to go into there but there's lots of tentacles to it yeah it sounds like you've done a lot of work in this area and i'm kind of curious what other things do you do do you do hold sessions for people and help people in that way or yeah yeah i my favorite thing i'm doing well i'm a healer so yeah i do individual healing sessions i channel rainbow light healing and it's just so awesome it gets me high you know like with the client. So just like QHHD sessions, I love those too. I don't personally perform those, but I really appreciate them. So what I do is I also guide people to step into being earth keepers. So that's really my main function on the earth at this time is to reconnect people back with the divine consciousness of the planet so that you can 
interface directly with the planet and not go through an intermediary such as myself or a church or something like that. But you can go direct and get your own messages because we are all living a unique thumbprint life, you know, life. Like it's a very unique experience. And that's why we have a thumbprint to remind us like on our bodies, hey, you're unique and there's never anyone like you before or after. Um, because if you don't explore that, you nobody ever will. So we need to be connected with our major teacher, which is the earth, because we're in the world of form. So we need to learn directly from her. So I help people learn how to do that by stepping out onto the path of being a Mesa carrier. And a Mesa is a portable altar that represents your soul's curriculum. And I use the gene keys for that because the gene keys is really potent already. Richard Rudd's work is super powerful. It works. It's based on the I Ching. So with the program I do, it's actually marrying the I Ching, which is like a 5,000 or more year old technology with the Andean tradition of the Mesa, which is also like a 5,000 at least. It's probably 40,000 year technology. And those things together weave together to support each person in turning their wounds into wisdom and walking on the earth as an earth keeper, which simply means that you've elevated beyond your own shadows enough that you can be in service to the planet. It's perfect timing to talk about this yesterday. Well, so when we do the recording and when this gets released, there's a time lag, but yesterday was Earth Day. Yes. So, uh, yeah, such a perfect time. And um, I noticed on your website, you'd said that the common denominator that we all have is Mother Earth, which is such a good message with such polarization that's you know, happening on the planet right now, just to remind people, you know, just to get real simple, not in a bad way, but in a it's it is very grounding just to kind of come back to Mother Earth when you can feel overwhelmed with all the information and so forth and get confused. I think some people get confused on the path. Um, but yeah, we can all just feel that connection to Mother Earth and and let that guide us and let nature guide us uh, by paying attention and and listening. Yeah, it's, uh, it's confusing on the earth because it's like a giant holodeck. Every single person is able to, every soul is able to create whatever reality they want at any given time. And then this holodeck called Mother Earth, she just like connects everybody with everybody else at key moments for each person, each soul to learn from each other. It's a vast mechanism for connecting different realities together at key moments. It can be really confusing if you don't know who you are because there's a lot of other realities happening concurrently. So what Mother Earth does is ground you back to her. Here's my trees. Here's my rocks. Here's my mountains. They don't move. We can relax. You're okay. As you regroup, reground, recenter to go back into the fray, you know, and you can remember for a moment, oh, that's right. This is all an illusion. <sighs> deep breath you know it's like if you've ever like gotten drunk in alcohol and the the room starts to spin that's like kind of how it feels to be a human all the time when you're around a lot of people this is an opportunity to get undrunk like get back sober <laughs> get on the earth you know like breathe relax be held and then go back in like with a renewed sense of self into that big old party that's going on on earth where a lot of people are drunk and kind of delusional. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's a little interesting, right? I mean, and what I'm saying to some people sounds delusional, but actually if you check in with your heart, like a lot of people tell me, they're like, no, this is totally true. I can feel it in my whole body when you're speaking. Like a lot of people get body chills when you hear truth. Yeah, I remember in hypnosis training that there was this one author, this classic author, and it, the book was called Trances People Live. And the perspective was like, that, oh, we're not really putting people in trance, we're taking people out of trance. We, you know, we have all these trances of these ego mask identities of, of who we think we are. And it's like peeling all of those layers to get to like our authentic self by getting out of trance. Yeah, I like that. I like that analogy a lot. It seems really accurate to me. Tell us your spiritual story, I read it and I thought, oh, a lot of people will relate to some or all of, of your story. 
Well, so I there's a lot of stories I could tell. Is there <laughs> one in particular you were thinking? Yeah, I guess the sto- the the story of going from like the corporate, like the mainstream oh, okay. life to shifting into opening to spiritual focus. Absolutely. The origin story. <laughs> well, origin. I guess you could, there's many origin stories too, but yes, that's so that many. particular one. <laughs> you know, that's a really interesting question. And the brief answer to that is that, you know, I, I was doing what everybody does. I was living the life that was prescribed that I thought was going to bring me success and happiness and money and, you know, all that material wealth that I thought would bring me joy. And the longer I, I stayed on that path, like I was so disillusioned. I remember the first time that I woke up to my life as I was creating it was on medicine, actually. <laughs> so I was on a my first time taking mushrooms and we were in California by the coast, by the ocean. And I was standing by the ocean, like I was standing with my feet in the ocean and the whole ocean was rushing towards me. And I felt my goddessness, like I felt the divine and it was so potent to be on medicine and hearing the the ocean just wafting over all of the little rocks like a little symphony and then having this sense of like the entire mother ocean meeting me where I stood. I mean, I came back from that and went into my office with all the little popcorn ceiling with the door that closed in high tech, looking at my computer screen, going to document some software. And I thought, how the heck am I going to do this for very long? Like, this is like so empty compared to what I just experienced. And that was really the f- one of the first moments that I started realizing this path I was on had didn't have enough meaning for me. Like I wasn't going to be able to sustain this. So I, I quickly got myself out of corporate and became an entrepreneur just so I'd have more flexibility while still making the income. And that, you know, that, that worked for a while, you know, let me do my art and things like that. But I also had this you know, I was trying to conform to this idea that you shouldn't be feeling emotions and that that was somehow uncomfortable for people and don't do that. And I couldn't help myself. Like I was always like the, I had no poker face. Let's just put it that way. Like I was, you knew I was feeling something. Like, <laughs> Come on. <Different> way. <laughs> yeah. Like I'd be in a meeting and I'd, I was surrounded by also some men who were learning how to not be chauvinistic they were sitting at the table saying really awful things like I can't talk to women because they don't understand this technology and they're just stupid and things like that. And I would get so upset because I just graduated from a all women's college. It's actually a good college. And I was like, this is what I signed up for, you know? And so I'd be like looking at the ceiling, trying not to cry. So I got this idea that it was wrong. Like however I was, was unacceptable or it wasn't going to get me where I needed to go or up the corporate ladder or whatever. And so I was in all these psychotherapy sessions talking about my problems like every week. And I thought that was going to fix it, right? Because they told me that it would, but it didn't. It like compounded it. You know, it's like I just seemed to go in there every week with another example of how crappy it was. Hmm. You know, if you can relate to that. So then, you know, then I had my kids and that was the next example of like, life is more meaningful than what I'm doing in this job. Like, I just gave birth to a human being. I just, I'm holding him. I'm keeping him alive with my breast milk. Like, my body can do that? What? Like, I was having all of these awakenings. Like, you're kidding. I'm made to do that? And I had to face all the awkward feelings about, oh, my body does icky things like spring breast milk. Like, that's not icky. That's beautiful, you know? Mm-hmm. So I had all these like moments of going, this doesn't make, it's not making sense to me. And they're telling me I'm crazy because I'm not fitting in. And I'm like, I don't, I can't fit into this. I, so it kept going that way for quite a while. And, and my marriage was the same way because he was really on, unco- he wanted everything to be in the status quo. So he was like super critical if anything like fell out of the expectation, like to keep up with the Joneses, right? <laughs> and he was like trying to push me back like into my box and I kept squirting out the edges because I don't fit in that box. <laughs> so that's pretty much how it was until I finally said, you know what? I have to leave the whole thing. Otherwise I'm just going to die because I wanted to just die. I have two kids. I can't leave my children. 
Like, I love them. I'm not going to leave them motherless. So what's my options? I need to take care of myself. And if taking care of myself means admitting that I'm bad and wrong and don't fit in, okay, fine. So I did that. I left and I said, well, I'll just be bad. You know, I can't, I can't meet your expectations. So you left yeah, everything. Yeah, pretty much how I left. left. I left it all. Yeah. I, I didn't leave my kids. Yeah, but your husband and your job and, and that whole I, life. Yeah. I, I, left, I left the husband first. And I left the psychotherapy at the same time because I put them both together in the same bucket of don't work. And then about six months later, I started doing some really big in-depth healing, about a year later, actually, with the Four Winds Light Body School, which is that Indian shamanism I was telling you about. And that powerful medicine helped me get off the happy pills from the pharmaceutical companies. I just, mm. I went to my retreat and I told my teacher, I'm take, I'm going to stop taking those pills like this weekend. And she said, okay, if you believe it can work, it will work. So do the energy medicine on it. So I did. And I didn't have any backlash. It just got off of them. Wow. So that kind of healing is what you try to provide for, for people, I guess. Because I see on your website, there's something that you do that's like a one-year program kind of thing and that was kind of shocking to me because I'd never seen anything like that so you know I guess you help people like on a really super deep level I guess when they do something like that right absolutely it's like the deepest level there is it's all the way down to the down to the core wound in your mother's womb and back and like I said I leverage the gene keys because it's already really potent but then you take that and you marry it with this with this, um, you know, Andean shamanism with this, this mesa, they call it a misha, and all the little medicine stones inside are each tied to one of those gene keys. So as we, un- you know, they're like keys and locks. So as you, as you like turn the key in the lock, the door opens and this whole fog of shadow comes out that you've been dealing with your whole life. But like now here you see a whole map of it and it's raised up to your consciousness so now you're, you're in that, you know, if you've heard of the competency model, I love the competency model because it's like, we all start off as unconsciously incompetent. We don't know we're incompetent, right? We're just totally in our shadows and we can't see our own eyebrows, so we don't know it. Maybe somebody tries to tell us and we're like, screw you. you know? <laughs> Stop telling me that, right? But then you become aware of it. Now you're consciously incompetent and that sucks, Right. Like that part is so hard. So I guide people in that part to the con the um the, you know the conscious competence where you're really working on it. You know, you're actively working on it, you're making some traction, you're you're elevating yourself to the higher frequencies. And you know, once you do that, it, there's no going back. So as you know with QHHT, Tiana, like when you do a healing, that thing's resolved. Like whatever that issue is, done. So it's like forward traction versus the repeating cycling problems in psychotherapy. They have so much to learn from QHHT and hypnosis and it's amazing. So, and you know, what's the end goal? You get unconsciously competent. So you're like, just like you drive your car or brush your teeth, you are loving. Mm. That's the goal. (laughs) And then you can go to the next level of loving, right? So that's what we work on in my program is, and we use the Mesa as a tool an ancient tool and the lineage that supports that tool to assist people in claiming their medicine from all their wounds and all their shadows and to see that their life has been planned. It's not a mistake. You know, so quit arguing with it and just go, wow, I chose this. It's right here in black and white. So I'm going to make the most of it, right? Yeah, that's so much more empowering than just, you know, thinking that it's fate or or whatnot or random. Yeah, and that's really what a lot of people have problems with their moms. That's why that book is so important because a lot of us walk around in our lives angry at our mother or our father. But when you can adopt this perspective that you chose your parents and you therefore chose the set of circumstances that you experienced as a child and to your adulthood, it, it opens up this amazing ability to see the soul's curriculum and the design and the agreements we make with each other. It's like, like me and my mom are having fantastic discussions now because she's open to this. Has she Finally. read your book? She, I don't know if she actually read it. I sent it to her. 
but you know, it's one of those dances that we do. But she understands why I wrote the book. And she made the decision to lead the family as the matriarch to a blank slate. And once she made that decision, it's firm. So the two of us are now creating and generating a field of love together that other family members are now being pulled and drawn into. See, so it's like, I'm learning, I'm even learning, like, don't fight the ones that are being upset right now or in their egos or whatever's happening with them. Just create a force field of love that's so compelling that they want to get back in it. And so that's what we're doing right now. And it's awesome. Yeah, I love that expression, you know, a force field of love or just even a field of love, because I do think that that's, you know, what a lot of us are trying to do or doing, like you said, versus like fighting against something, you're just creating this energy. And that energy is, is powerful and alluring, where people want to be a part of it. Absolutely. And I think for so many light workers, I'm sure your audience has a lot of people that would classify themselves as star seeds or light workers, people here of purpose, leaders. And so for everybody who's listening, it's like I totally get the impulse to close the door or walk away from the negativity. And I get that. And that's just like I want to say I did that on my journey, but that's just one step. That's like one to collect yourself and to heal. And the next step, the invitation is that to really change the world, this is what I realized myself, is if I really want to make a huge impact in the world, it starts with my family. It starts with me at home with my family, healing those bonds and healing our family system. And that's my training ground to understand the world dynamics. I'm like, it's my very personal training ground at home. So I dove back in and, you know, I took breaks, right? So there were times my mom and I weren't physically talking, but I was always working it in the background. I was always working that relationship at the fifth dimension. I was always working it in the energy. I was always working it within myself and my own judgments, biases, projections, you know, resentments, unexpressed things, places I was withholding love. I was working on all of that the whole time. And it's like, you just have to keep needling away at it because eventually the dam will break through. It just takes whatever time it takes to get that accomplished. Yeah. Yeah, I I remember when I had the same realization that, you know, working on myself was equally as important as anybody who works on everybody in the world, right? Like, so it's that concept of like, you know, we're all one. So if one can heal, then they all are healed, right? So (laughs) when I came to that realization, it was really powerful for me in my life because then I didn't feel like, oh, am I, am I fulfilling my life's purpose? Am I, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I this? Am I that? You know, kind of all that stuff kind of fell away because I knew that if I, I understood myself as much as I possibly could, that that's all that was required of me because it's kind of the point, right, of being here right now in this world where we're under such a heavy veil and, and we don't know everything. The only thing that we really can know is ourselves, right? So, and that's, it's not as easy as it seems, right? Like it, it still takes a lot of work, but it's not as overwhelming as trying to save the world. Yeah, that's pretty overwhelming as one person. It'd be like one ant saying, I'm going to build all of the understructure to the earth by myself. Yeah. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be like that, you know, and, and none, of it, none of us can do that. No. You know? We're not, we're not, we weren't, we didn't come here to do that either, I don't think. I think it's a common, um, like, stage or step on the journey where like initially when you kind of open to this, you do feel like, like, oh my God, I have to tell everybody I have to, you know, this like huge, big weight that you put on your shoulder of thinking that, you know, you have to go out in this like really big way. But, you know, as we, we kind of learn about 
quantum physics, like you're saying, and how everything is connected. And so that's such a relief, right? <laughs> to know that like, oh, my shift is the collective shift. And, you know, we're all interconnected and, and so forth. I wanted to ask you this, just I'm sure you get asked this all the time, just about your name. Carrie oh, Hummingbird. Yeah. yeah. Tell us the story about your name because it's, you know, not one that we come across often. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it is my name now. It is on my driver's license and all that. So people ask me that question. But my name was not Carrie Hummingbird 10 years ago. What happened was I left my husband. A lot of women go through this. Like if you get divorced, now what? What's your last name? Are you going to keep that guy's last name? And in my case, We've always been at the opposite ends of spectrums of personalities, right? So it's like, I don't want his name, you know, like I was like kind of angry or really angry for a while. I didn't want that. And then for me, I've also had these weird name things like um, I have three dads. So I, you know, I have one natural father and two stepfathers. My, My second stepfather was my dad, you know, so I had his last name. But I was like, well, I just want my own name. So what happened, I was kind of already opening to that. And then I realized at one point, I've been being single for about a year after the divorce, I realized I could buy a house and I could put my, you know, like I could buy it, not like as the housewife, but I could buy the house. I was like, wow, this is cool. Mm-hmm. So, cause I had a nice tech job, you know, that I was doing part-time. So I was like, all right. So I found this house that I'm in right now. So spoiler alert. I got the house, but I was in the house and I was like, this is a house. Like, this is it. And my realtor's like, yes, I feel it too. So we both agreed. And I went back to my house while she was going to make the offer. And then she calls me and she says, well, that house has been under contract. Like it's been under contract back and forth, like five, six times now. Like when they do that, you're not going to get the house. And I said, well, we'll see about that. So I said, just call me when they change their mind. So I got my drum out and I started. (laughs) By now I know about my drum, right? And about taking journeys and manifesting. So I got my drum out. I closed my eyes. I just started, I started visualizing being in the house. I'm in the house. I'm in the house. Oh, yeah. Uh, And my grandmother who's deceased came and saw the house. And she's like, I love this. And I love that. And we're just, I was having a great time in my imagination, (laughs) like in the house, in my imagination. And I was making the whole thing up. So you know, it wasn't really just happening. I was making it happen. And then all of a sudden in my journey, in I'm standing in the kitchen of this house, but I'm, but I'm in my journey. And I look out the kitchen window and this whoosh of rainbow light just with this hummingbird and just hangs in the window. And I'm in this moment of sincere awe, like, whoa. I didn't make that happen. <laughs> and the moment I was like in that suspended awe, the phone rang. And it was my realtor. And she said, oh, the deal fell through. Uh, what did you want to offer them for the house? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I was like, whatever they want. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Give them the full amount. And I got my house. So I was like, well, Hummingbird is me. I looked it up in my animal spirit guide. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's me. I'm a messenger of spirit. You know, so I changed my name and on Facebook first and in my shamanic community first. And then I branched into LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) That was a little more awkward because, (laughs) you know, people that knew me in high tech for a couple decades were like, this chick has definitely lost her mind now. Like (laughs) she has gone off the deep end. (laughs) But pretty soon people just started accepting it because, you know, it's one of those things like it's true. It just is true. Like that's who I am. So it resonates because it's true. Yeah, it matches you. It does, yeah. your energy. Uh-huh. I wasn't even going to question it. I just I, I didn't know that you changed it to that. I just thought that was your name because it seems like, you know, it fits you perfect. It's totally perfect. And the hummingbird is my mascot. Like hummingbirds come to me all the time in journeys and things like that and and the one cool, I'll take, can I tell you another story? Cause this one's really fun. Okay. So I was on, I was on a retreat. I, I studied with the power path too. If you know about the power path and Jose and Lena Stevens, mm-hmm. they just do great work. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Anna, oh, I love those people. Anyway, I did their one year program and I was on the retreat on the land. So I had three days 
by myself, not supposed to interact with anybody, not supposed to have any left brain stuff, just supposed to like hang out with yourself in the dirt and you have a tent and that's it, some water. So I was doing that. I got my my medicine wheel all set up. I was very productive in the first two hours. I got everything all set up and then I was like twiddling my thumbs. So I said, okay. So I went and I found a huge rock and I stood up on it like it was a stage because I am a sage, you know, it's pretty clear. So I, I'm sitting on, the, I'm like singing into the forest, like an Icaro. And I'm calling in all the support, calling in the mountains, calling in the jaguars, calling in the, you know, everything. And then this little inner giggle come up inside me. I was like, oh. and I sang, I called in hummingbird. I used the word sirocente, which is the Quechua word. And I was like, and I sang the lyric to call in sirocente. And before I even finished the verse, right in front of me hovered in front of my third eye is a hummingbird (laughs) and it stayed like that like for until i looked at it and i said i guess you come when i call and it nodded its little head and it flew away wow Wow. <laughs> and I was not, yeah. I was totally sober only on the first day. So it's not like I'd had time to be delusional, you know? <laughs> so I was like, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Have you spent a lot of time doing those kind of things though? Those retreats or, or, you know, just in the jungle, I guess. Yeah. I like the jungle. Like I've gone to the jungle and done plant medicine there. I've worked with um, tobacco dieta. So I have tobacco in my matrix, which is awesome, by the way. And don't do it at home by yourself, please. You could die. But the shamans know how to, you know, they know how to prepare the tobacco. You guys probably already know about that, but they know how to prepare it so you can actually consume it. And then it becomes like spirit medicine in your entire body. Like it just becomes like inner armor, you know, against and for you and your protection. No, I didn't really know that. I, I knew they used it, but I didn't know that it was used like that. They do it that way. Mm-hmm. You mean consuming it, like swallowing it? And oh, wow, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like swallowing tobacco juice. And but it's been prepared by the shaman, so they're mm-hmm. they have intentions with it, and the intention is that the plant, because a lot of times we work with plants on the outside of our bodies. Right. And so like with spirit of tobacco, like I work with spirit of tobacco all the time. It's a very sacred plant. Many indigenous people work with the tobacco Mm -hmm. to put prayers, you know, out into the world. And and white buffalo calf women actually brought that that practice to the Lakota people as part of the legend of the white buffalo calf women. She brought the peace pipe and she brought, you know, they call it the chinampa and she brought the tobacco. So taught them how to pray to spirit using the tobacco. So you actually sing or speak prayers into the tobacco and then you light it with the fire and you you don't inhale it. You just pull in, you suck in the smoke and then you blow it to release it. So I was doing that for a while and going, because mapacho from the jungle is very strong and I don't smoke cigarettes. So for me, it was it was a hurdle, you know, because I always think of tobacco as kind of before as kind of disgusting, you know, like cigarettes and things like that. But this tobacco is sacred tobacco. So when you use it in that way, it's a whole different experience. So when I went to the jungle to have my integration with tobacco, with mapacho, the even before we drank it, the shaman did like a blessing and like introduction of the medicine of tobacco to each one of us. And all of a sudden, it didn't smell anymore. It was crazy. And it didn't taste bad, nothing. I was like, I was totally neutral about the tobacco. And then when I drank the juice, we did that for like, you have to drink some every day for five or six days or something like that. It was on the, it was like this teacher medicine on the inside of me, speaking to me, not necessarily in words, but more just knowing sense. And I was working through some challenging inner development things and I would say things like tobacco, that feeling right there, that insecurity, it's right there. And I would kind of feel it in my body and it would just go and be gone. It's like, wow, that's radical. You know, like, yeah, there's all these things that are like right beneath our nose that because 
we're not utilizing them in a sacred way, then people will tend to discount it. I remember when I went to this spiritual school called Delphi, and I remember the first, one of the classes that we took, which was color and sound healing. And I, at that time, in early part of my journey, I, I thought it was kind of like dumb. I was like, we see color all the time. If it was really healing, then I think we would know all about it by now. Or, you know, or same thing about like, you know, sound. And this was you know, years ago. Of course, now sound healing has become pretty popularized. But like, I remember, you know, initially thinking like, how could it be that these things, you know, or even maybe like crystals, like, oh, you know, these pretty rocks, like somebody, why wouldn't everybody know about it if it really worked or, or all of the, you know, so then tobacco, this thing, like you said, that is all around us, but in a really negative way, in, in this like unhealthy way, you know, to like totally approach it with a sacred intention, how that totally transforms it. I'm curious what, the spirit of tobacco thinks about how we, you know, we're sort of like dishonoring it in the people that smoke or use it without any sacredness behind it. But then I guess you could say that about all of Mother Earth, like you're saying, the trees and the plants and everything that we're not honoring, that we're meant to be stewards of. Everything has a purpose. And so when you use something in alignment with its purpose, it functions very well. But if you use it in a, not in alignment with its purpose, then it starts to get bumpy, right? And tobacco is one of those medicines. It's um, It has certain purposes. You know, it, it clears your energy field of dense negative energies. It protects your energy field and it sends prayers. That's pretty much what it does. And so if you use it for any other purpose than that, you're misusing it. And the tobacco itself is kind of like, take your chances, you know, I mean, there's a natural consequence, you know, which we all know, which is lung cancer. We experience those consequences when we're not mindful. Then there's other schools of thought that say, well, that's just because we all decided that's what it's for. But then again, I'm like, well, maybe that's true, but that's its function right now. So we all agreed for a long time that that's what its function is. So unless you can somehow radically go against all other people that think it's for something, you know, make up your own thing. Maybe you can sustain that, but it's a little challenging, right? Like we're trying to do that right now. Those of us that are committed to uplifting human consciousness are changing the meaning of things, right? We're working to change the underpinnings of this whole society that's going on. You know, a good example of that is the, the color ladder and unconscious racial bias, we're working to change that right now. Racism is a really hard topic because so much energy has gone into creating it. Now, like a handful of people are saying, we're, we're going to uncreate this against the whole history that's been used to create it. So in other words, like you have to honor and recognize that certain things have a lot of energy and force, and it's going to take a certain tipping point of many of us working on it to rewire things in order for things to change. So the same is, you know, so if it's already existing, like tobacco is just one of those. It's just so many indigenous people have used it for so long for that purpose that that's just purpose. And if you don't use it that way, then, you know, you run the risk of some adverse scenario. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it does apply to everything. It's a really good point. You know, I, I didn't really think about it, but, um, you know, even in the Dolores Cannon books, you know, I, kind of go back to that they they say that uh, that the way we build things and the way we make things is so unnatural sometimes that they don't really function in the way that we intended them to because of the way that we've manipulated them so far you know it's like if you take you know white like white sugar for example you know that's a highly refined substance you know and then when you ingest that into your body you know it doesn't really have a good effect a lot of times you know it's easily overdone and and it can have you know harmful effects on our bodies and that's just one example but yeah i think uh there are many many things about the way that we live that we could do a little just a little different that could make a big impact for everyone it's about being mindful a lot of us are hanging out in the uh conscious incompetence phase right now you know we're wanting to change things and so in order to change it, we have to become aware of it that we want to change, which means we become aware of the unconscious incompetence. And then when we're aware of it, so we're conscious of it. And that's really uncomfortable space to be in. And there's a lot of 
what they call, the Picaro call hucha. There's a lot of hucha, negative energy around up in the space because of this stuff being released, misuse of tobacco or racism or whatever the conversations are, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of them on the planet right now. So it's like, take, take your choice. <laughs> like we want to redo a lot of things. So the thing is to be realizing one thing that I just realized this week because I had some judgments about hucha. You know, I had some judgments about negative energy, right? Even though I've worked on this, right? Because it's one of those patterns we have to to work through is to embrace the shadow. And a lot of us avoid the shadow. So in rewiring this, we, we have to learn some methods of embracing it and seeing that it's for us. So in my meditation, really deep medicine journey this this week, I had this visitation from Mother Earth, like this this presence of Mother Earth came in and she said, well, Carrie, because I said, what about all this stink? You know, like, what about all this hucha stink that's in the space? Like, it's nasty, you know, like all these people being mad and hateful and da, 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 and the history of all of this is terrible and I hate it and it's, yeah. And she's like, why are you so upset? It's mulch. There's really good lessons being learned. This is excellent mulch. And I thought, oh, okay. So what you're saying is you're fine with this. And it's actually mulch. Like for you, it's just energetic mulch to grow new things. Okay. I'm going to try that on. a great metaphor. Yeah. I'm still embracing it, you know, because... I don't know about you, but I don't like driving down those Texas country roads with all the cattle and the and the and the mulch. <laughs> it stinks. But you know, I, maybe I can embrace it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I often say like that. This time, this shift that we're going through, you know, we're kind of in this like energetic detox face. We're all, you know, like we're, we're moving into this higher vibration. So all the lower vibrational stuff has to dismantle and come up. The toxins have to come up to clear. And so we're in that state with, where your skin breaks out and, and, and you have a white coating on your tongue and you feel sluggish and you feel like, oh, this is not good for me, but it is. It's good for you. It's helping the things move to clear. I don't know how long it'll take before, you know, our skin gets bright and our eyes are, are vibrant and, and we have lots of energy. But yeah, we're in that middle clearing phase for sure. It's uncomfortable in there. So a lot of grace, you know, and use the support of the earth. You know, that's that was my message this week. I My guides were like, Carrie, you have resources. You're just not using them. And my husband had to say it out loud. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, okay, we need a ceremony. Then I was like, all right, it's cleared. And and I, I started feeling better, you know, but I can, I don't know, maybe a lot of empathic people could understand me when I say like, I start to feel other people's pain and I really feel it. And I go down the tunnel with them, like a feeling it. And, and then I'm like, my heart is just so like, ow, that hurts. Like, and I'm in it now. Like I'm totally sucked in and I'm learning to be, well, my message was to realize I'm the mystical shaman. Now I think we're all the mystical shamans, like we're all these mystical shamans. And so it's like, just be the mystical shaman part of you and realize that the human part is messy and yeah, it's dense and sticky. It's icky. It's got emotions. It's got also great stuff too. Like we can perceive and feel, and this is great. So we have this range of emotion and it's awesome to be in a physical body. You can experience ecstasy. So it's cool. And just take a step back from it and realize who you actually are. You know, this was my message for me. Remember, you're the mystical shaman. You're creating this whole experience for yourself to just like take a step back, breathe, realize, you know, those of us here hold space like in the second wave for other people. Don't get lost in the delusions. There's a lot of them. There's one for every person. You know, So like, take a deep breath. Like, recenter go back to the earth i appreciate your transparency and your your realness i think that's important for people to hear that you know that oh we can be on this journey for a long time and we can be doing powerful healing work within ourselves or for others but that doesn't mean that you know 
we don't go through, you know, layers of stuff and still, you know, we're still here on the planet because we're still working through our stuff. And so thank you for that. Yeah, I'm still here. So I'm still working. I mean, and it seems to get more precious, you know, like this last wave of stuff. I held space for a deep dive on racism, right? And my husband's African-American. So this is something I really care about. You know, I was also feeling into my own ancestry and asking the question, like, what was my ancestral response to it? How did my ancestors act with it? And and how do I feel about that? You know, and I'm related to Abraham Lincoln. Like, I've related to his sister or something like that through our family line. So I always was so proud, you know. And then I've had moments of not being proud because I heard other information. And I was like, no, that just destroys my whole self-concept. So there's like this, you know, this reckoning, right? Like I was talking about the ancestral reckoning and I was feeling so much, but I also was feeling repressed about it because I have this repression line of the core. Like I, it's hard for me sometimes to feel my feelings because I feel so much. I don't know if anybody else gets this, but like you feel so much that it, like this little switch goes off and then you, you're numb because you can't feel it because it's too much. And I think a lot of us are in that space right now. Like it's just so much that it's like you just some some little switch and you goes too hot and turns off, right? And then you don't feel good because you can't feel. So that's why I needed to go to ceremony. Because so like for me, the answer is back to the earth, back to the stones, back to the plants, back to the medicines of the earth and ground and center. And they'll know what to do. Like the stones and the, the plants, they know how to help us. And I just surrender to it. And a couple of days later, I'm good. You know, I'm feeling back to myself. And some of that got resolved, like, because my mind is not so busy, I was able to hear my ancestry, like say, you're right, Carrie, we stood by and watched it happen. That was our fate. And that was our contribution. And no, we don't feel good about it. And we see in retrospect that we could have made a different choice. That's the way it is, though. What are you going to do? And right when I was going through that part, my husband takes a stone he has and puts it on my lap and it has the word forgive on it. I was like, <laughs> like, how are you so awesome? Like, you know, like your ancestry went through being enslaved and you're so awesome to hand me the forgive stone. Like, oh, please. My husband's awesome. He's amazing. So yeah, it's like, we got to help each other out. I mean, we're really healing hundreds or thousands of years of stuff right now in order to make the consciousness shift. So don't underestimate, like we're on a wild ride. Like this is Mr. Toad's wild ride. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Gosh, (laughs) I I didn't want this conversation to end, but you know, I know, right. Yeah. It was (laughs) so good. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate everything you said. I think you had some great advice for people, you know, returning to the earth and, and all that you said was just amazing. And I do want to tell you, yeah, I'm, I'm like Tiana. I appreciate that you're just you, like you're, you're like unashamed of just being yourself. And I love that. It's inspiring actually. So, so thanks. Absolutely. I, you know, <laughs> right from their first book, if you, if you listen to Awakening to me, it's like cringeworthy, you know, cause I've, my people tell me, Carrie, Oh man, every time you want to date another guy that's unavailable, I cringe. I'm like, yeah, I know. It, the whole book is that way. It, <laughs> it's hard to get through. <laughs> you know, but but don't we all go through those patterns? So, you know, I I'm just called to be transparent. And sometimes it's not easy, but a lot of times it feels good because like you guys just said that. And I was like, oh cool. Tell can us, you tell people yeah, go ahead. Uh, where they can uh, find you? Yeah, absolutely. Online. Yeah. Um, so my website is carriehummingbird.com, K-E-R-R-I, hummingbird.com. And everything's linked to from there. And you can find it all pretty much from that site. I'm rewiring things because, you know, I evolve so quickly. I don't know about you guys, but like things are constantly in motion and evolving. And so I'm getting ready to streamline my messaging again because like you said, like there's so much on there. Like what do you actually do? And people get befuddled. You know, because they're like, what do you actually do? Like, what don't you do? And I want to like streamline the message <laughs> so it's more clear. So, yeah, it might change again. Just saying. Yeah. And, and you have your own podcast, too. So uh, I do. Yeah, People can find you out there, too. It's the soul nectar, right? 
Yeah, I would love to have y'all on my show too. I love having these conversations. See, we can continue over there. Yeah, so next show. That'll be the first time we've done that. <laughs> oh, cool. He liked yeah. that. Well, great. thank you so much again, Carrie. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me on. And for everybody out there, like, so much love. So much love and grace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. I'd like to say thank you very much to Carrie Hummingbird for taking the time to talk with us and for sharing her gifts and knowledge with us. I just wanted to say that I've been reading Carrie's book, The Second Wave, and it's a great read, so I highly recommend checking it out. If you'd like to know more about Carrie, her books, and her various offerings and services, please visit her website, CarrieHummingbird.com. And that's Carrie spelled K-E-R-R-I. And before we go, I'd like to say thank you to Casey Henson for creating the music we use on this podcast and to Tiana Roser for keeping this podcast interesting and going strong. For more information about us or to access past episodes, please visit our website, beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. And you can find us on social media as well. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a rating for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. This will help other people find us. Take care.